I, at the same time, decided to just launch to the world that I had bipolar disorder and my story and I had not told anyone. So it got a lot of PR because I guess it was like, wow, this bipolar lady's had that for months. <laughs> but it was a good thing because it, it actually gave the people using it kind of there was some credibility about who created it. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations with me, your host, Andy Dixon. Today we have the privilege of hearing from Hannah Hardy-Jones, who has taken the challenges of life and turned them into something that is changing people's lives all over the world. Hannah worked in HR until the birth of her first child triggered a manic episode and life changed forever. We talk a little of that journey, however you can hear more details of that on episode one of Voices of Hope's podcast, A Moment With. The focus of our kōrero is what happened from there. How did her newly acquired bipolar disorder lead to the development of her business, The Kite Programme? Why kites? And how does an app help anyone? We talk mental health, being a mum, gathering a team to turn a dream into a reality, veterinary challenges, the UK government, brand new Jaguars, and much, much more. This is episode 55 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Hannah Hardy-Jones. Hannah Hardy-Jones, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, Nor here, who are you, where are you from? Tell us a bit about yourself. So I am Hannah, I am a mum of two, I've got two kids, um, Alice has just turned nine and Henry is five and I live in Lincoln, um, a rural-ish town, starting to become Say, more rapid, like a city. Rapidly developing, isn't <laughs> Rapidly it? developing, losing its village feel um, and I am the founder of the Kite Programme and Kite is a, a mental health uh, tech company and we create very um, specific uh, apps for really um, tailored groups of people. So we have, um, for example, one for eating disorders um, and we, have, we work with businesses, we work with veterinarians, so we, are, I guess, have a really diverse range of, of clients. So that's a huge passion for me is, is, is mental health. Um, and that's really based on my own um, mental health journey since having having Alice. So um, huge driver for me. I used to work in HR and corporate land, and I left that three and a half years ago to start Kite. So I kind of haven't looked back mm. since, which is yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah. Now we we met at an event that we were both on the panel for that was organised by actually previous podcast guest Jen Mora and and you're actually one of the or you are the first interview on Voices of Hope's podcast uh, and so that's got a huge um, exploration into your mental health journey um, so we won't go cover all of that again today yeah. um, other than do you want to just give us a bit of an overview of you know what is your lived experience of of the mental health stuff as a bit of a background yeah. for where we're going today. Yeah, well, I guess my first experience was studying psychology at university. I'd never had any mental health issues at all. Um, so when you're studying um, 
a topic like that. It's very different to obviously experiencing it. Yeah. Um, and when I had my Alice, so yeah, she's nine, so um, even during that pregnancy, no issues, and was pretty naive probably thinking about um, mental health and the, the possibility of maybe having postnatal depression, for example. It was just like, this isn't happening to me. I'm a happy person, and I had this perception really that um, you know, if you were strong and positive, that it mm. wouldn't affect you, um, which is awful thinking about that now. And yeah, I was really unwell after I had had Alice um, and was diagnosed with postpartum bipolar disorder, which I had no idea existed. So my mind, people with bipolar disorder were kind of, you know, in the crazy corner, you know, in and out of psych wards. Like it was just that was that was so far from my world. So mm. to go through that and um, and have that diagnosis was just so shocking. You know, and took quite a few years to recover and kind of go back to my career in HR and, and then it really just uh, hit me around what I should be doing, you know, and yeah. how I could use my experience for, for good. So really traumatic time, but now kind of come out to a point of being able to manage my illness and run a business and, mm. and, and make a difference. Hopefully. So essentially you went from not having bipolar mm-hmm. to having bipolar, you know, one day, fine, next day, yeah. all over the place. Yeah, literally, that was how it was. It was it was a really traumatic birth, so that's a huge trigger. Like yeah. that when it does happen to people, it's often when it's been quite an extreme um, sort of time. Um, but yeah, like just that, you know, the, the hormonal change and the, the trauma together mm. Um, yeah, going into the birth, you know, absolutely fine and coming out of it, you know, my brain a completely different mm-hmm. sort of beast, I guess. Um, and, and how long was it until you would look back now and say you, you were some semblance of feeling healthy again? So I'd stopped the kind of extreme, you know, manic, depressed, you know, they were extraordinarily extreme and needing kind of that, you know, clinical help and carers and things like that was six months it would have been another at least year of living with just crippling anxiety which was probably a bit of the bipolar and then just a bit of just the fear of becoming unwell again and obsession around naps and you know all of those things so it was at least 18 months before I I remember going to a wedding and being like I felt like me again you know just just getting dressed up and talking to friends and feeling like myself Mm. but you know 18 months seems like a lifetime Mm. at the time it's just you know a long haul so yeah yeah when you look back on it are there things that you wish you'd known beforehand or is there anything that you wish had gone differently in terms of the way that you or others process that yeah I mean I wish that in our antenatal classes that there had been a focus on mental health like there was maybe 10 minutes on postnatal mm. depression and what to look out for if your partner is a bit sad. Like that was how it was portrayed. I think it's slightly better yeah, now, right. but you know, like we were like, oh yes, we know how to put a nappy on and we know how to burp the baby. I mean, that's irrelevant. Like you can Google that. That's, that's you know, we, we needed actually like, these are some things to think about. So that was a huge thing. I think that, for me, focusing on Nick, my husband, about how it affected him, everything was about me, you know, and yeah, right. 
all the support and what does Hannah need and how can Hannah get better and meanwhile he's holding it together and going to work and you know like his whole world has changed he's living with a stranger you know when I'm in my Mm -hmm. when I was in my manic state for example he said it was like living with an absolute stranger and lying in a bed with a stranger and scary and um if I could go back it would be definitely trying to advocate for him more I mean I couldn't because yeah, I was unwell yeah. but you know like that's when people approach me and you know even even recently since the, the the podcast with Jen um you know family family members reaching out to say what can we do and my advice is also look after yourself you know like don't mm-hmm. let that slide because it's almost worse but when you're supporting someone through a mental health crisis it's like someone having a heart attack. You can't be like, well, I need to think about myself right now. You know, it's um, it's like that's what it's like with the mental health crisis. You're just yeah. so focused. And, you know, Nick was just so focused on, A, I've got a newborn baby. And I'm, yes, there were carers in the house, but it was him. But I've also got to go and support our family. If I don't go to work, we don't have any money and we you know we might need a a private psychiatrist so you know all these things are like on his mind yeah um so yeah I think that would be a huge reflection yeah yeah Yeah, I think interesting firstly you're talking about the antenatal classes now I look back at ours and go did we even talk about mental health at all maybe a little bit but you know I had depression after all three of our kids and we didn't we definitely didn't talk about that for the guy you know that and there's so much around having a newborn kid that can make your mental health deteriorate. Mm-hmm. And yet, why don't we talk about it? Which is it's just phenomenal. But yeah, you're right. There's, we need to prioritise looking after everybody in situations like this. Absolutely. And it's just forgotten. I mean, in our situation, obviously, Alice came first. Absolutely. Yeah. She was a newborn baby. Um, and then me. But I just felt like... Everyone else was just on the outskirts, you mm. know. Um, no one was ringing that going, are you okay? Mm. Like someone needed to be, you know, you always yeah. in that, those situations you need a person, you know, like maybe there's a support worker that is your person or mm. it's almost like victim support. Like you're going through this traumatic, this is worse than if you were in a serious car crash probably, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's, um, so yeah, I think there's huge work mm. to be done, yeah. So if you want to hear more about Hannah's experience there, definitely head to um, the Voices of Hope podcast called A Moment With, um, and it's the first episode on that. Yeah, I mean, when I listened to that, honestly, it just blew my mind. Um, I'd never heard of it, and I guess to hear that that it was one day okay, one day not, you know, that can be quite scary, but at the same time, it's great to see you now, you know, so healthy, so vibrant, you know, still with having to manage things, but being really aware of that and, and so going, man, that's that's horrible and exciting at the same time, you know, that yeah, um, that's not your permanent state, no. I guess. Um, and so you've just celebrated your daughter's ninth birthday and yeah. so that's, I guess, I don't know if you'd celebrate nine years, of it, but, you know, that it's been a real milestone as well. Yeah, um, it really has. I think each year, each birthday, like I do reflect, it is always a hard thing because... She came into my life on, you know, on that day, but also my life changed and it was scary. You know, it was yeah, something yeah. quite, quite awful. But I think I've, I think now nine years on, I think I've finally 
just accepted that it's just it was just the whole lot was actually just an amazing thing that happened. Like mm. I would be honestly, like I would be still working in a corporate job, probably pretty focused on money and you know getting yeah. ahead and what you know materialistic. Like yeah. that was really me. I mean, I know it was late twenties. I'm sure that's actually just an age thing too. But you know now it's kind of like yeah, I feel like accepting and that it actually was a, a, a positive thing that happened even though it was so traumatic mm. yeah. yeah and you guys went on to have another kid yeah how, yeah, we how did. was that scary um yes we had said that we would not have yeah. another baby it was just like it was I mean you know I'm sure you can to relate to the the fact of when you know you've been through something the, mm. the fear of like it's going to happen again um, and I'd always been told that I would have to come off my medication to have a baby, and I had said I would. I'm not willing to do that. That's too. It's just too risky, um, especially with bipolar. You know, like yeah. it can be dangerous. Um, and we just found an amazing, amazing team when we moved to, to Christchurch, and you know, who said actually it is possible um, to stay on your meds, and we can support you, and yeah. like kind of just create this really safe space, and we had. Yeah, we had Henry, and the pregnancy was great, and the um, the birth was was great. It was mm. so well managed, and um, you know, like I feel grateful to have had that. Now, mm. like I can think about that and go, that was a really positive birth experience. Yeah. And, you know, the feeling of connecting with him straight away, like I didn't have that with Alice. Like I got to do all those things um, that I'd missed out on, which is really special. I love that idea of of the birth or the, the, even the whole pregnancy being a team thing. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a lot of cultures in the world, it is. Yeah. And yet in a lot of Western culture, it's a very individual thing, a very clinical thing. We actually found a, um, a midwife too whose husband has bipolar disorder. Right, wow. So, like, for her being the partner and being able to relate to Nick, you know, like, it was so good. That's it awesome. It was so and, great. And that's some of that support you talked about you wished he'd had previously. Oh, yeah. And because she said, I get it, Nick, you know, and, and he would just say all his fears and this happened last time, how can we make sure that doesn't? And yeah. there was so many plans, like even just having this like typed out plan of like, mm. if this happens, we do this. If this happens, we do this. You know, like it's so comforting. Yeah. So those who have listened for a while have, have likely heard me um, banging on about finding the good in every situation, um, even in those bad spaces. Um, and one thing you've heard me <laughs> say before is you know shit makes good fertilizer and and I think your life is a, is a prime example of that where you've had this thing happen to you you've had this thing that's become part of your life yeah and you've gone well okay so that's now part of my life what now and what can grow from that you mm-hmm. know what are the new things that can grow from that mm. um and in, in your case you know you've certainly had things growing from that so uh, can you tell us a bit about this kite program mm. um, and, and how and why you got it started? So it started, um, it was a chance meeting with a, a woman who was a life coach actually and she was you know, asking me about my HR career and I was telling her how much I loved it and I wanted to be the Chief People Officer of Air New Zealand and I was just like on this path. And she asked me all these questions about like, wow, it's so amazing that you love your job so much and I don't come across that much. And she sort of had all these like probing questions and somehow these questions just like infiltrated my brain and two days later I was like, I don't want to do HR. Like 
I don't, what am I doing? I need to do, you know, it was just this amazing thing. And I actually rang her. It was like, you've unleashed something in my mind. It was like this creative part of my brain had been dormant. And these Mm. questions she'd asked me just fired it up. It was like the most amazing thing. And so I just literally got these pieces of paper and I need to support, you know, my whole goal is to support mums. And, And in my mind, I was like, I could run some like sessions, I could do some talks, I could go to coffee groups and talk about mental health and I kind of had all these little tiny sort of ideas and they kind of just sort of all started joining together into this, you know, I always talk about it as these tiny flickers of flames that actually just all started joining together Mm. and this sort of inferno was starting and I I just, you know, I I was like, right, I want to support mums and my focus is is that I want to support them as people, not as mothers. So there's so much support for breastfeeding and weight loss after baby and all these things Mm. that are so about the baby, like what about the mum? So that's how it started. And the idea I had was it's so overwhelming to be a mum and there's so much information, but what if someone could write you a beautiful note every day and it was something validating but also something practical like do this today it might help if they could write that note put it in your letterbox and all you had to do every morning was just shuffle along whatever you're wearing whatever you're doing open your letterbox and you just this thing was there and it was like someone gets it this could be helpful I'm going to try that I feel Mm. in control that was the idea and obviously I couldn't write a note in you know millions of mums letterboxes so I decided to to create a, an app that did it. Um, and I was really specific on what that looked like. Like it needed to feel like a book. I didn't want it to look like an app. I, I You know, it, yeah. it couldn't harass them, all the things. So that's what I, what I created. So I surveyed um, almost 500 mums on, you know, like what are the things that are going on for you? And it was the most um, common were feeling disconnected from their partner, mm-hmm. Um, mum guilt about going back to work, comparing yourself to perfect mums on Instagram, like all those things. And yeah. I was like, cool, let's do it. So that's how it started. Obviously, there was a huge amount that happened the following year in terms of actually creating Kite as an app. Um, and that's essentially what our apps do, that you select a Kite, which is a module. So you might go, you know, comparing yourself to other mums, I'm going to do that, and it might be eight days, and for the next eight days, there'll be something really little that you can do that kind of helps towards that, so it might be something to watch or listen to or write or talk to someone about, Um, but the whole goal of it is these tiny steps, you just feel like there's just this little bit of extra support, and you're also doing it for you and growing, Um, and so that's, that's, that is Kite, so we started off with, with the mum app, which was awesome, um, I at the same time decided to just launch to the world that I had bipolar disorder and my story and I had not told anyone, you know, I mean close friends, but it was just at the same time. So it got a lot of PR because I guess it was like, wow, this bipolar lady's created a app for mums. <laughs> but it was a good thing because it, it actually gave the people using it kind of there was some credibility yeah. about who created it. It wasn't just another case of a, a perfect Instagram mum creating something to help everybody who's not as good as them. Exactly, totally, yeah. totally that. So, you know, I kind of got that, yeah, that connection. Um, and then very quickly it just became apparent that this template that we created for Kite could just be replicated over and over again. And if you put different design and different content, different kites, yep. different language, whatever it is, it becomes an app for 
veterinarians, it comes in at for mm. people with eating disorders. Like it's the same function mm. of this idea of this beautiful note, but it's just for a different audience. Mm. And that's, yeah, that's the awesome part, I think. Is, is there a story behind why you chose Kite? Yeah, so, um, so my dad is, he used to be a fighter pilot, so pretty much Top Gun, but he also <laughs> is a bird watcher. Which balances out, it's like, cool job, maybe a bit geeky hobby, you know. Um, and he's, yeah, amazing bird watcher. Actually, I'm, I'm going to interview a bird watcher very soon. Oh, wow, yeah. there you go. Yeah, he's one of not New Zealand's top bird watchers. Nice. Um, and because he'd been so supportive of Kite, I, of, you know, of the idea, I said I'd love to name it after a bird, like, after kind of after him almost. Mm. So I was like searching, searching, birds, 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 you know. I was like, I just want, you know, that feeling of like freedom and, you know. And then I came across Kite as a bird of prey. And, um, yeah, as soon as I saw it, it was like, saw the bird of prey, I was like, mm, that's scary looking. <laughs> Aggressive bird, doesn't go with the brand. Come and devour your <laughs> mental health. <laughs> exactly. And it just occurred to me and I, and I, I just, it, as soon as I saw a Kite in my mind, I was like, it's that feeling of, when you're flying a kite, like you feel amazing. Who would not feel good flying mm. a kite? But it's also really easy to imagine that fi- that kite crashing to the ground mm. and that feeling of like utter, yeah. how am I going to get that flying again? You know, and it's mental health, I think, is a really tricky subject sometimes, but when you put a practical analogy to it, it makes it a, you know, mm. and so I talk about that a lot. But the the, the most amazing thing was my, my granddad had actually passed away a week earlier in the UK and my dad was flying back over for the funeral um, and we couldn't go but I rang him and said I've got the name I've got the name and he's like oh okay I'm just writing the eulogy for for Pampa which was like okay well and I said it's kite and he just nothing at the end of the phone and I was like dad kite as in like you know a kite that you fly he's like yeah and I was like, do you not like it? He said when you rang I was just writing this eulogy and I was just writing a, a part about how when I was young we lost a kite and it was in Cornwall and it flew like you know three miles away and my you know my, my granddad and my dad walked for six miles to get this kite and he said that he had been considering that whether they actually that's where they sprinkle his ashes and like oh, this was this moment, <laughs> like this, and he was just completely, this is a military man, you know, like dad is not like at all airy-fairy. Yeah. And he was just like, yep, that's obviously the name. Yeah. So that's, that's I feel like, yeah, you know, wow. yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. So you, you call it a micro-learning app. Yeah. First of all, what, what's micro-learning? Micro-learning. So it's just the concept of, of learning very small pieces of information at a time um, so more and more um, there's actually even even smaller bits is nano learning and then there's like you know it goes even smaller smaller but micro learnings le- are used a lot now for things like health and safety training you know and you just do a little bit every day instead of this idea of just you've got to sit down in a seminar for two hours um, yeah, the how, amount, much, how much do you take away from oh, that yeah. I mean it, it, they, they reckon that after 24 hours you've retained only 30% of what has come in front of you. But after a week, it's down to like 5%, 2%. You know, like it's yep. just, that is our that is how our, our world is and our brains are. Yep. You're just scrolling, reading, watching the news, 
talking to someone. I mean, the important part too about kite is it's about practical things. So like, for example, one of the activities for dealing with, you know, overwhelm when you get home from work is try and have a shower in the dark. Just try it, like turn all the lights off and just see what you think and just make the assessment as to whether that was relaxing or whether that was freaked you out you know <laughs> for me personally I'm like I can't see anything I can't you know you don't want to be shaving your legs in the dark um yeah, but you yeah. know like it's that thing of um with kite you get your day and whatever it is that you're doing some of it is just straight maybe listening to a snippet of a podcast but it's collecting over the days what works and assessing what doesn't and that's just all it is and it takes five minutes so you can easily Anybody can do it, you know, like you can, it doesn't seem like this heavy task you have to do. Mm. Whereas if it was like, okay, so today's thing is to watch an hour and a half documentary, like, mm. it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so and the micro, the micro learning part. And we also focus on the fact that learning new skills is good for your well-being. So even if they don't, not every day isn't going to work, mm. but it's the fact that you're making, you know, you're learning, you're just learning new things you're you're hearing new perspectives so yeah Yeah. one of the things you mentioned before was veterinary yeah so it's got the how did you even connect to that for a start so my sister-in-law so Nick's sister is a vet and so is her husband um and so I knew obviously just from a you know being around them just the the level of stress they both own the business so that's like another Mm. another level but it just always been kind of on my radar of just like this idea that they're not only dealing with the patient, which is the animal, mm. and the stress that that comes with, but it's dealing with the pet yeah. owner. So you've got this double whammy of dealing with this animal and dealing with this with this person, um, and just the the level of you know lack of sleep, being on call. So you've got all the same sort of things as as you know as a doctor does, um, but but then learning that vets have got pretty much the highest suicide rate out of any job in the world you know so I always thought it was dentists but um, vets are actually the, the highest which is you know and some of that also comes down to the fact of it being quite isolating so you might be yeah. you know you're not sometimes always working in a team you might be working in a rural setting you um, supporting farmers you know like you're out there treating animals or animals not surviving and it's their the farmer's livelihood and you're, you're taking that on so mm. huge amount with with that um, yeah when I read it, I said to Bex, you know, I, I've never thought about it before because you think, oh, it's just animals. Yeah. It's not people. Yeah. And yet, actually, the emotional engagement is probably the same as a surgeon. You yeah. Know, that, and yet, they've probably got way less support than a surgeon would have because it's just animals. You know? Well, also, or, you're dealing with death a lot more yeah, than a true. surgeon. You know, so... I don't know what the percentage is, but, you know, particularly animals who are having to go through surgery, the the likelihood, and it's drawn out. I mean, I know even with my sister-in-law, like, you know, an animal will be in surgery and they'll stay in the clinic for, say, four days and she's going to check on them three day, three times a day and she's then ringing the owner to give them the update and, you know, they're sobbing and, and then they end up dying and then, you know, it's just this never-ending sort of, sort of um, cycle I think mm. small animal vets obviously deal with that more than a, mm. a large animal vet because you're dealing with different clients too but um, yeah it just became really apparent just the need and just started investigating really and talking to, to different people and um, ended up 
the contract that we got was with the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons in the UK, so they're the industry body, and they have their own kite app, and anyone in the industry that wants it, it's free for them, so um, they promote that and, um, you know, just include topics, kite topics that are very specific to, mm. to being a vet, and things like compassion, fatigue, like, you know, that, that idea that you become quite emotionless, you know, the more, I mean, it's like anyone, isn't it, supporting anyone, um, you know, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's been a really awesome part of the business, really. And what sort of feedback have you received from app users? Yeah, just, a lot of it is just around having that kind of friend in your pocket, um, that is, but you do it, you, you feel like there's this positive step that you're taking each day so that's mm. a lot of the the feedback that we have is just the it's just manageable and you just feel validated mm. like um and and we've sort of got to the point now where even with the veterinary industry like it's a it's an awesome solution but what I've really identified is that underneath the label of being a vet are other really key things you're going through so for example IVF is very common with vets because obviously women are often leaving it till a lot later. And so that's like a huge undercurrent, you know, thing. And if you're going through IVF, and I mean, you know, and I know lots of people have, it's consuming, like it's all consuming. Yeah. It's your, So for me, and this is kind of the direction that we're really wanting to go in, is that it's all very well us going, here's an app for vets, here's an app for this bank, you know, employees, is actually going... No, we need to go way more specific and be like, yes, you're a vet. You might be going through all these different things. You might have just lost your dad. You might have just, mm. your kids, you divorce. You're about to retire. You know, all of those things, that's where I feel Kite needs to be actually coming in um, and being much more specific because mm. I don't believe that just having a label of working as a job yeah. is actually enough. Yeah. Yeah, to, to tie people. Yeah, the whole industries are full of niche groups, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, that's great that your app's versatile enough to be able to cope with that too. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's been the, the best part about it is, is creating it like a, it's like a template, you know, like anyone could come, like, you know, a woman recently was like, you know, what about a, an app for Pacifica teenage boys who've lost their dads? I'm like, awesome, amazing. That's like... That's where I kind yeah, of feel that right. pull. And that is really specific Yeah. and will help like a small group of people, but it might help that small group really well. Yeah. And um, if we can do it, then fab. I love too that, that like you're partnering with say the, the organisations or, you know, the people that have the drive for it. And so it's not you sitting around going, all right, who are the next group that we've got to help? Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, because then you're kind of, limited to what is my expertise yeah totally whereas you're going no actually we've created this thing that can help people it's a scaffolding yeah for you to use in whatever situation means something to you yeah totally totally and 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 i mean i could do it with the mum app because hr had worked as a mum it was a lot of lived experience it was literally a collection of things that have worked for other people so there wasn't needed to be like a clinical oversight um so that's the thing you know like with IVF it's about partnering with the people who know the people that can distribute it because also that's the other thing like how do I get how would I get 
an IVF app out there, but you go through yeah. the right channel and, you know, and, and moving forward, you know, potentially going, okay, so then who could fund that? Because I don't believe people should pay for an IVF app. So yeah, if you can right. get it funded by a sponsor or a fertility yeah. clinic, like that's the best model. And if that can keep being replicated, mm. then that's awesome. Like I think we've spent, a, you know, the last two years going down the corporate wellbeing avenue and to be honest, it's like, it sort of leaves me quite cold. It's like, it's a tick box often. Mm. And you're trying to get money from a tiny corporate wellbeing budget because they don't prioritise it. Mm. But if you look at these organisations' corporate sponsorship budget, it's millions. Like, they, yeah. they have got money willing to spend on their brand and looking good, you know, but on their staff. So it's like, I'm rethinking how we distribute that because mm. you could actually help those staff members if we create enough of these little IVF grief all the ones yeah, yeah. that can go back through so yeah. yeah what's it been like being a woman in that tech kind of space because I'm not totally familiar with the tech space but it doesn't seem to be a place where there are a lot of women there are not a lot of women no no not at all so when I first started I, I was like in a bubble so I got a, a, a development company in Melbourne to create the app and I was just at my kitchen table and I was honestly just in my own little world like I didn't know anyone in tech or anything yeah um and at the beginning of last year I actually got accepted into an incubation program um called Te Ohaka, um, which is run by the Ministry of Awesome and it was it's, yeah it's, a, it's an incubator they call it like the nest mm. um and so you go in there and you have a co-working space and you're suddenly around all these amazing people doing all sorts of different things not just tech and the first day in there was the first time that I was like, wow, I am a woman in tech and I know nothing. And I know, and I know, and I'm not like connected to anyone. And I was like imposter syndrome, like you wouldn't believe. Like I'm a mum. I've just been at my kitchen table. And like a lot of them are guys in their 20s, you know, who can work crazy hours, don't have any commitments. And I was just like, what am I doing? So that was really hard. It was like, I questioned everything that I was doing and mm. I don't have a co-founder and I haven't raised $5 million and, you know, what is this work? Like, I didn't even know what a, a VC, a venture capitalist was. I was like, didn't, didn't know, didn't know. <laughs> like, it was in La La Land. So that's been hard. It was hard at the start and then I really got over myself and was like, you know, there's some amazing women doing these sorts mm. of things and men. Like, it mm. doesn't matter. And everyone's so supportive and building you up and the more I network, the more I built, you know, and joining groups and meeting other women in tech, it's been the best thing. Mm -hmm. But there was seriously a period of time where I was like, I'm, there is no place for a 38-year-old mum in this world. Like, that's how I felt, you know. Mm. And, and I guess society paints a picture of, yeah. you've had your kids, now it's time to focus on them and, and not do anything else. And yeah. it's like, you know, I, I know at home that if Bex had just focused on the kids, she would have gone nuts. You know, oh, she, exactly. There was, there was so much, she was so much better as a mum when she was being creative, when she was, yeah. you know, feeling valuable outside of the home as well. Yeah, totally. I think the thing is, I think for a period of time, I felt I wasn't getting the same opportunities. And to be honest, even from an investment perspective, there is a black mark on your head if you are a female founder but you're a solo female founder so I don't yeah, have right. any co-founders yeah. so that's kind of like warning warning 
you know. Yeah. Plus, I'm very open about my mental health, which you don't know the biases behind the scenes. Everyone's yeah. all like, wow, it's so amazing you share your journey. But you can imagine them being like, yes, big risk, risk factor, yeah. solo female founder with bipolar. Let's just, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um, but it's, I mean, it's totally rewarding. And I, I'm absolutely, you know, I've got friends who are stay-at-home mums and I'm like, and they are happy and yeah. it's awesome. Totally. For some and people, I'm that's like, actually great. I can't do it. I would be a shit show. Seriously, yeah. I would, it would be horrible because I'm, I'm not great in the home, you know, <laughs> like, unless I've kind of got, yeah, so I don't bake or cook and I hate cleaning and I, you know, like there's all those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, part of that story I find really encouraging is that you went into this thing not really knowing what you were doing, but actually it's become quite successful. Yeah. And, you know, just for people who are sitting at home listening, um, who have this idea, you know, that's really encouraging to yeah. go, actually you had an idea yeah, and then you went, who can help me do this? Yeah. You know, it wasn't, well, I've got this idea, but I don't have the skills. Yeah. yeah. You know, you went, oh, where can I, how can I make it happen? How can I make it happen? And, yeah. and so that's what you've done. And yeah. um, so is it still just you or the, you've got So a- I have a team of three permanent employees and then I have a team of, it's about 10 other people around the world who are kind of distributors, partners type things. So they're people that I've just collected. I have one in Boston, one in London, um, one in Honduras, which is just the most random thing. So she, you know, looks at Latin America and meets people. And, you know, so it's it, there's some really, that part is awesome. So, and they're all women, like, you know, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty, like, it feels like a really powerful group of mm. people. Um, and then I have, obviously, mentors and, and other people that kind of, you know, are contractors. I very purposely keep my permanent team tiny because just, you know, still being a startup, you don't want to become like, oh, great, we're comfortable, we can hire a few more people, and then you've got that pressure of like... Um, so, you know, hoping that we will just continue to grow organically without needing lots of mm. in-house people. Like, I'd just rather just have a collection of awesome people that are just yeah somehow in and out involved so yeah and I guess that sits well with the model too of actually there are different apps for different things yeah so there's different needs at different times totally and if we need people we can get them in but you tend to find like people that come to me with ideas like um you know like one that we're looking at currently is women who have ADHD and you know you actually the people come to you it's almost like they pitch an idea. It's like pitching an idea for a book to a publisher. Mm. Like, I've got this idea. This is what I think it's going to look like. You're like, cool, okay, we'll back you. We can create the app for pretty much nothing, but we've then got to think about how we roll it out yep. and what we do. And it's just exciting, I think, that yeah. part, because I think that if you have too many people in-house, yeah, it could get stagnant for mm. them. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's quite a cool way to keep the flame going is having people who are just passionate who come in mm. and out and... That's exciting, though, that you've gone from this idea to actually someone with staff. Yeah. You know, that yeah. must give you some satisfaction looking back at that journey. Oh, hugely. I met, so so my main, like my right-hand woman, um, Sarah, she, I met her on Alice's first day of school and just immediately was like, you're one of my people. Like, she's just, you know, and she's 
super loyal, so funny. And I remember telling her all about Kite and she was one of the first people that I just could see in her eyes. Like she was just like believed, you mm. know, it was like, and I said to her, I'm going to one day, I'm going to give you a job, you know, and she was working in like for a physio or something. One day I'm going to um, give you a job. And she was like, ha ha. And then she was the first person I hired and she only mm. worked 10 hours a week, but she's like, now my person you know yeah. like she's just the best I could ring her at three in the morning and be like we've got a problem and she'd just be all in you know and it's yeah. just it's so cool to be able to have that yeah, yeah awesome so we've we've talked about the mum app and we've talked about the vet app mm-hmm. what other ones have you got out there at the moment already yeah so love your kite is our eating disorders app so Jen and I co-founded mm. that together she I someone had said to me about the eating disorders side of things and I was like I've got no experience in that so I literally googled like influential people in New Zealand for eating disorders and Jean kept popping up and I didn't know who she was at the time (laughs) and I just was like got in touch hello like did it on LinkedIn which she doesn't actually even use um but yeah two weeks later she's like I've just found this message this sounds amazing and so that app is probably the other than the mum app like closest to my heart in that just seeing how how the difference it's making mm-hmm. to people you know mostly women mostly younger women um, and so that's kind of that drive to be like how do we replicate that because mm-hmm. those are people who are like I've got a problem I want to get better I need help that's a great a great model um, we also have um, we created an app for a UK government scheme. So they had a scheme called Kickstarter, or Kickstart, and it was to get 16 to 24-year-olds who were unemployed back into employment, and they gave companies huge funding to have these Kickstarters. And they needed to have a digital product to go alongside it, you know, to kind of for well-being and, and mental health. So we created a product for that. So that's actually now finished. That scheme's finished, but that's been an amazing way of using it. It was even the design, you know, having it for a younger audience. We had it was all sort of street art and amazing, like just beautiful imagery that really appealed to them. So that was that was awesome. And the cool thing is, is that when those sorts of projects finish, that app and all that content can be repurposed. Um, and our other most recent one is one for HR professionals, which comes back to my own career. So mm. we have Kite HR. So it is just mental health, well-being support for HR people, and that's awesome. That's a really, that's a really cool... How cool that like. I'd like to help some mums just turn into, I know. you know, the UK government and, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and, and the cool thing is that my day, I just talk to people all the time, and there's just ideas all the time. Like, you could literally come up with, like, yeah. just if someone says to you, like, oh, my friend's, you know... You know, I mean, I've got a friend whose little boy has type 1 diabetes and she's like, parents need something. And I'm like, amazing! Like, because then yeah. it's still mum-ish and, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's just like, it's so exciting to just be like walking around, you know, thinking about like, who could we help with this? You know, yeah. we've got the ability to like write a book on anything, but it's so much easier than publishing a book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whip up a kite app. I love too that... Um like your focus is clearly not primarily the money. No. Yeah. But ex- but also, you're not doing this just out of the 
goodness of your heart, you know, that, that there is yeah. money involved and that, you know, financially it's obviously being successful. Yeah. While it's still being really beneficial. And I love that what you said earlier about, well, let's, let's get organisations to pay for it so that people don't have yeah. to. Yeah. Um, so you're doing that really wisely, but I think, you know, that's been a recurring theme of late on the podcast is you don't have to, you know, sell yourself out to be able to help people. Yeah, you actually, don't have you can to do be those, You can do those two things together. Yeah. And, yeah, that that's something that I think we've got a lot of space to grow in in our culture. Yeah. Is it's not either profit-focused or charity. Yeah. You know, there's this thing in between that's actually focused on people, yeah. focused on doing good, also focused on making a profit. Yeah. Because that's also how you're going to help the people. Exactly. Um, totally. Um, as we get near the end... We need to wrap up, but you know, as I walked in, there's a very nice Jaguar parked outside, <laughs> um, which you were quick to tell me isn't actually yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you've you've got it for a few months because Jaguar chose you as their first ever She Sets the Pace community grant recipient. Yeah. Um, which means that as well as getting to drive their ridiculously nice car, mm-hmm. they're providing money to help you fund a, a resource to support women who are on breast cancer recovery journey. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it must be really encouraging to have people believe in you like that. Oh my gosh, it was the best thing. I, f- I applied for it, honestly. It was almost like, felt like a bit of a, not a joke, but it was like, oh, just, why not? I'll just, you know, see what happens. And when they rang, and were like, you've actually, you've actually won. And it was like, just, that is so validating. Yeah. And I, it was on a day that I was, had something had gone really wrong and I was feeling really deflated and questioning things you know it was like oh this is so hard and it was like ring ring you've won this jaguar and you know this grant and it was like oh maybe things are gonna be okay so as much as I like the jaguar is a lovely car even though it's you know I think I was saying to you before like it's just a bit sort of cringe that you don't want people thinking that you're your business is doing so well and you're, yeah. you've spent, you know, I mean, it's $200,000 car. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's just when I get in it and put my hands on the steering wheel and see the Jaguar sign, it's just, it is that feeling of like someone believes in you. Yeah. Keep going. It's like a, I feel that part is so awesome about the car. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and why that specific focus for the grant? Well, that was, I guess, a, a strategic thing in that. Um, in that, I was thinking, okay, Jaguar, what do they care, what do they care about? Because it's, you know, it's like they they, they want it to reflect mm. on on them well as well, um, and they do a lot, especially overseas for breast cancer, um, and probably because like from a target market perspective too, like you know, old, older women. Um, and so that was that was what I, I, I sort of highlighted in terms of just that would be a really good use. Um, and I know a lot of women who've gone through that journey, um, you know, and just think, okay, this, is, this could be a really, really good thing to do. And then actually since winning the grant and having a discussion, I met with the Cancer Society and, you know, breast cancer is very much like the, they call it the sexy cancer, you know, it's, it's, it gets a lot of funding and people want to get it behind it. So they're, they're kind of almost like out of, you know, kind of all the different types of cancer have the most funding. And, and what was pointed out to me was that women who find out they have the breast cancer gene, which is like life-changing, you've got a 90% chance of getting cancer, um, that for them and their families, there's so much room for support. They're kind of in this sort of like no man's land a little bit. Um, and so 
that's what we're going to be doing is creating yeah, something right. so, for them. So it's not so much about the recovery from of people who've had yeah. it, it's more about you, people that are susceptible to yep, get it. Yep, and the decisions they have to make, because there's some huge yeah. life decisions in terms of huge. their body, their kids, because they've got daughters, um, or even or even boys, um, and just that kind of anxiety mm. of you know knowing you've got this ticking time bomb, that's what it's like really. Yeah. Um, so I feel really excited to be able to do that, yeah. Mm. Awesome. I, I loved um, reading you say your goal is to make a huge impact on a global scale to improve mental health and well-being, which for a lot of people that's like, wow, that's ambitious. Um, <laughs> but, you know, given what you're already doing, or wouldn't surprise me at all if, if that becomes reality, you know, yeah. you're already doing that in, in certain spaces. So where to from here for Hannah Hardy-Jones? Um, so I guess getting the IVF app would be just the, the most amazing thing, you know, and that would be a global mm. thing because I think that's the way I think of it is that it's not just people here um, that, are, that are struggling with all sorts of different things. It's like being able to replicate that mm. and, and, and go um, worldwide um, and having a focus for, you know, there's projects for... Um, for NICU, for parents who've got babies in the neonatal ward, that's another thing that's really kind of close to my heart, just from friends and things, and um, and it keeps popping up all the time. It's like that thing, you know, they say about red cars, you know, like if you're looking for a red car, something, they're everywhere. It's like the NICU stories and people and things keep popping up all the time, and it's like a sign, you know, that, like, okay, this is a good... So, I mean, where to for us is literally, I have a list in my head of 500 different causes... And I'm like, just going to work my way through them. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And if people have uh, a desire to connect with you, if, yep. if this has sparked something for them, yep. how do they go about that? So the best place is probably my Instagram, which is at the kite program, um, or um, Hannah at the kite program.com. I'm more than happy um, for people to email. Like I sort of am such a open book. You know, people mm. sometimes say like, don't give out your details to people. I'm like, yes give them out I'm happy you know like it's you know especially for people that are you know have got maybe something that's an, a, you know mm. a, an area that they would love to support people with and a kite app could be a really good you know yeah. way to do it like that's amazing well totally even even hearing out. how much of what's happened already has been through conversations yeah. that have just kind of come up at different times and, yeah yeah you know you just never know who's going to contact and oh totally and like have an idea that's really going to work and to be honest, there's not really many ideas that I'd be like, nah. I, like mm. most of the time when people say things, I'm like, amazing, let's do it, you know. Yeah. A lot of the time it's for broader things. Like they'll be like, you know, what about farmers? And I'm like, oh, gosh, honestly, yes, farmers. But it, some of them are so meaty yeah. that you're yeah. like, whereas if it's actually something quite specific, it's almost like, cool, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much for taking time to chat to us today. And thank you. Um, thank you for, I guess, your honesty about your own journey. I think that's refreshing, and a lot of listeners will find that really helpful, um, just on its own, regardless of everything else that you're doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you for for taking the time to let those hard times grow into something valuable. So yeah, thank you for what you're doing to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Thank you. It's been awesome talking to you. Hello, hello heaven. 
to come near. I so appreciated Hannah sharing her journey with us. And it's great to see that new growth can come from the hard times. The hard things aren't good in and of themselves, but we can find ways to turn them into new life, even if it's just becoming more compassionate towards others who are doing it tough. Hannah, you are a total champion of a human being. Here is a blessing for you. Hannah, as you look back on your journey, may the hard times continue to spur you on, reminding you of why you do what you do. And may the good times be a source of hope for you and for others that new life comes after death. May your marriage thrive as it did when the challenges of life brought you closer together when it could have torn you apart. May your daughter's birthdays always be a time of great celebration, of her, of your whānau, and of the life you now lead. May your children grow up proud of their mama, and believing that they too can overcome adversity and make a difference in the world. May you enjoy driving your Jaguar, seeing each day the blessing of someone believing in you, and the support of others who help you to make a difference in the world. And finally, may you know you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Join me next time when I talk to Donald Scott about bird watching, silent retreats, and the beauty of being. Until then, me inoi tato. E to rangi, Kia tau mai tō rangatiratanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Humai kia mātou ai nei E taroma mātou mō tēnei rā Mūrao mātou hara Me mātou hoki e muru nei I o te hunga e harana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawea Kia whakawaia Engari whakorangia mātou I te kino 